welcome to a very special Halloween episode of Screaming Through the Ages, a horror movie history podcast. I'm your host, Trey Whetstone, and on this episode, we're going to do something a little different. Usually we're picking a topic and going in-depth on a couple of movies regarding that topic. Since I'm dropping this on Halloween Eve, I thought I would go in and review some of the more recent films that have come out in case you're looking for something new to watch over the last couple of days on this home stretch to Halloween. To give you a little bit of what to expect, I am going to go over these pretty quickly. I'm not going to spend too much time on any one film for the most part. I just want to get these out there and give you some recommendations. So you can listen to this pretty quickly and decide what you want to watch. I know your time is limited as we wrap up here, so I just wanted to give these quick little reviews. First off, let's get started and just say I'll be recording this over the course of a week or so. So there will be some cuts between reviews. There will be at least two segments here. I'm going to take this first half of movies and review them now. And then I'll be reviewing later as I see movies going along. So there could be a little bit of a gap if you notice that. Secondly, I won't be touching Halloween Kills with a 10-foot pole right now. I think everyone has seen Halloween Kills that wants to or they're going to see it by this point. I don't think there's a lot new that I have to say, especially since I'm not feeling passionate either way about it like a lot of people are. We'll leave Halloween Kills for the year-end discussion. Before we get into the new films that I've been watching, I wanted to suggest something that I had just seen recently, and it's an older film. It's from 1992, and it's called Ghost Watch. I had never heard of Ghostwatch up until a couple weeks ago. This one was hard to find. The only place I was able to find it online was archive.org, which I think houses things that are either in Creative Commons territory or are public domain. So it should be safe to watch there if you wanted to check it out. This is a sort of found footage type thing. It's kind of on that cutting edge, that initial wave of found footage type films. It's not found footage in the strictest sense of the word. It is taking place in a BBC studio, and they're doing a live TV broadcast, kind of like we've seen in recent years when we have things like Ghost Adventures or Ghost Hunters or all of those shows where they do their live Halloween shows where they're recording live from a place. That's what we have here. We have some members in studio. We have a lot of members back at the house, and they're kind of switching back and forth between these stories. I really liked this film. I would recommend it to just about anyone especially found footage fans, it gives a nice Halloween-type vibe since we have had those live Ghost Hunter shows recently. It's got a slow build like a lot of found footage films do, but once it gets there to the end, we get a pretty creepy segment, and the implication of everything going on is pretty unsettling. I also love that they have these live call-ins and these interviews they do of ghost stories. It really sets the tone and makes you believe that this could have been a real thing back in 1992, and this was before Blair Witch came out. We had had something like the McPherson tape in the late 80s that had predated this, and there might have been some other stuff. We'll definitely eventually cover this on the inevitable found footage film down the road. I love found footage. It's one of my favorite genres, so we'll have to cover that later. But for now, just trust me and watch Ghost Watch if it sounds interesting to you. Seems like in recent years, October has just been packed with new releases. We've not only had the big theater releases, things like Halloween Kills, but we've also had a lot of VOD releases and releases from services like Netflix and Shudder and Amazon. It just seems like content is never-ending for the month of October. I think it's kind of hard to figure out what to watch and how to skim through all of the crap and what's good and what's just a cash-in. I've watched a ton of new release films over this month, and I'm going to be talking about mainly the ones I've seen in the second half of the month. I have watched all of these and will give you my recommendation after talking about them. First up, I saw a movie called Val. This is not the movie about Val Kilmer. Instead, we have this movie directed by Aaron Fradkin. Uh, if we go over to Letterboxd, the tagline is, You don't stand a chance in hell with her. The summary reads, Finn is a criminal on the run, wanted for the murder of his boss and the accidental shooting of an officer. He breaks into the home of a high-class escort only to discover that you get more than you bargain for with Val, short for Valifar, a demon who offers to make all his problems disappear if he agrees to follow her rules. 
But in Val's world, there are no accidents. And as Finn meets her other customers, he learns that Val was expecting him all along. And it isn't easy to escape Val's dungeon. That's a pretty in-depth summary of what's going on. It essentially sets up what you need to know going in. This is much more of a comedy horror. I wouldn't say it's in-your-face, raunchy, aggressive comedy or anything. It's pretty subtle for the most part. There's not a whole lot of horror going on with this film. I do really like the two main characters, and I think they have good chemistry. I especially think that Misha Reeves carries this film as Val. The good point is I do like the chemistry. I do like the two leads. There are some cool effects that happen here, but for the most part, I don't really like the effects. I think they're kind of chintzy and cheap looking. By the time we get to the ending, that little end scene, there's this big scene you'll note when you get to it. It seems a lot like something out of Beetlejuice. I could picture that absolutely being in a Beetlejuice sequel. It wouldn't startle me any. It wouldn't confuse me. I think it would fit right in. So that's the tone we get to the end, but that's not the tone throughout the whole movie. We get a little bit of that black comedy, that snarkiness, but we're not getting the full-on crazy Beetlejuice over-the-top stuff throughout. I don't know who this film was intended for. Like I said, I like I like a lot of things about the film. It's nothing that's going to blow me away. I would say this is an absolute avoid if you're looking strictly for horror, and especially around this time of the year, but it could be fun as a comedy thriller if you're going into it with that mindset. So maybe save that one for after Halloween if you run out of things to watch somehow and you're interested in watching this film. Save it for November, December, maybe even next year. It's not a priority film. Next up is Knocking, directed by Frida Kempf. I had heard of Knocking. It got a lot of buzz out of the festival scene. So I was really excited for this one. This was one of my most anticipated heading into October. I was really looking forward to this and a couple of other films that were here later in October that we're going to talk about. Unfortunately, Knocking didn't quite stick the landing for me. Let's go over to the synopsis. Tagline is, it won't go quiet. A woman leaves a psychiatric ward after a nervous breakdown, only to start hearing mysterious knocking sounds in her apartment. That's pretty simple, but there's not a whole lot else to this film. There's a very slow build in which we hear knocking in her apartment after she's been released, and we get some ambient scenes and some ambient noises and everything, but nothing too exciting or impressive, really. Once we get to a pivotal moment, there are some really interesting choices with the camera, and I really liked where they went with that. It reminded me of Unsane from a couple years ago. The way they're shooting it, we're not really sure. It leaves it open to interpretation what's real and what's in our main character's head. There is this backstory, and we see scenes of it constantly playing out throughout the film. But for me, it's just not very interesting. We never really get to the heart of what happened. It doesn't really pull me in. I think that's the problem here, is there's just not enough to pull me in. And by the time they get to the ending, I'm not going to spoil it here, but the ending's pretty lackluster. It's unique in the way it tries to handle things, but that can also be seen as budgetary issues. I just didn't like the ending. I didn't like a lot about the film. There's not a lot for me to like here. That being said, I think there is enough here to give this a one-time watch. That's all I'll be seeing it for. Again, they had an interesting idea, and it was so hyped out of all these festivals. Maybe you'll enjoy it more than I will. That's the thing, is I'm going into these and trying to weed out what you absolutely shouldn't watch. I wouldn't put Knocking in that category. It's worth a watch if you like the premise, if everything you're hearing about it sounds good to you. It's just going to be a one-time watch for myself. I should mention before I move on also that both of the previous titles are available streaming on VOD. Next up is Slumber Party Massacre, the remake of the... 1982 film, which I am a big fan of. This is directed by Danishka Esterhazy, and it premiered on Sci-Fi Channel, which is where I had seen it. I know now it should be available on VOD. I don't know if there's extra stuff thrown in there. I'm sure there is. But let's get it kicked off with a summary. The tagline is, you know the drill. Dana, daughter of the only survivor of a massacre in 1993, is going on a weekend trip with her friends. After their car breaks down in the very same town her mother once fought the driller killer, Dana and her friends must come face to face 
with the man who has haunted her mother's life for the past 30 years. Now, let's just start off and say I did enjoy this, but not as much as the original. I do really like the original, and I like it a lot more than this one. This one, and I've seen already mixed feelings on this, it's not going to hit with everyone. As a fan of movies like The Babysitter and Happy Death Day, I really enjoyed it myself. I'm, I can really get into those films that don't have much substance and are able to just have fun. And I think this is a really fun movie. Not saying there's not substance here, but I think it is just kind of that fun, sit back and enjoy it kind of movie. There is some serious horror here. Probably a little more serious horror than The Babysitter or Happy Death Day. But it still does have a lot of tongue-in-cheek stuff. Let's get one thing out of the way. This is set up to be a sequel to the original film. The only problem is they kind of rewrite everything that happened in the original film instead of being that setting in a house at a sleepover in the suburbs. It's set out in a cabin. It's set in 1993 instead of the 80s. There are certain characters that play no role in this that played a role in the original. We have the same character names from the original film, but they're definitely different people. That we get in the cold open, and then after that, there are not many similarities to the original. It becomes 100% his own film, which is a good thing. It's good when a remake or a reboot sequel, kind of like this, gets to be its own thing and doesn't have to live off the legacy of the original completely. I think the characters are pretty likable for the most part, at least the main ones. So that goes a long way with me in liking this film. I think they do some cool things with the deaths here as well. At the end of the day, this is going to bounce off of some, but for myself, I would give this a high recommendation for the Halloween weekend. I think it's got enough there to be worth viewing. It's not going to outdo the original if you love the original, but I was really surprised. I went in not expecting hardly anything from this film, and what I got was a really enjoyable movie. Then moving on, we have The Medium which is a Thai horror film and is streaming on Shudder. This is going to be my pick for these first set of films here. The medium really surprised me. To give a little background, this is directed by, and excuse my pronunciation of this, Banjong Pisanthakun. And I know I butchered that, and I'm sorry. This is the director of 2004's Shudder. So not the American remake, but the 2004 Shudder, the Thai horror film. And he also had some writing credits on... The Wailing, and The Wailing director and writer had a writing credit on this film. So that gives you the kind of league that this film is in. Now, I've been hyping up this movie anywhere I can. I love this movie. It really surprised me. Let's go ahead and set up the synopsis. Tagline is, be ready for a horrifying story of a shaman's inheritance on the Isan region of Thailand. A horrifying story of a shaman's inheritance in the Isan region of Thailand but the goddess that appears to have taken possession of a family member turns out not to be as benevolent as it first appears. To give you maybe a little more in-depth summary of what's going on, we have this film crew that's doing a documentary on a medium. They end up picking a woman named Nim, who is supposedly possessed by the spirit Bayan. Nim is going to be the subject of their documentary. They're going to have cameras everywhere. They're going to follow her and document her life. And that's what it starts out as. Just this simple investigating and documenting the life of a medium in Thailand. We end up getting a lot of buildup in the first couple of acts. We learn about Nim's family. We get to meet her sister and her niece and her brother and just all of her family members. And we get to know them and get to know things about them and their background. And that's what makes the payoff so much better at the end of this film, is we get to know everyone. It's typical of that Korean horror film that just has the long buildup, and then we get to a lot of stuff in the third act. You're getting the same thing here. As things progress, one of the family members appears to be possessed, and they think initially that she's showing the signs of being possessed by the spirit of Bayan, who Nim is supposedly possessed by. As things go on, it becomes more and more clear that maybe this isn't the same thing, and maybe there's something wrong, and the family, without Nim's permission, does something that kicks off the rest of the events of this film, and it kicks it off in a really satisfying way. We get some really creepy and insane stuff here once we get into it. 
I'm not going to lie that this film scared me. And I haven't been scared by a film this year. I don't remember the last time I've been scared by a film. Usually when I am, it's something that's outside of the United States. It's not something I'm used to seeing. It's another perspective that scares me. And that's why I love watching these Korean horror films and Japanese horror films and these Indonesian horror films. In this case, a Thai horror film. It just gives me something I'm not used to seeing, and it scared me. This thing goes completely off the rails in the third act. I wasn't ready for where this film went. For the last 30 minutes or so, I put it over on Twitter, my jaw was on the floor for the last 30 minutes. This thing floored me at the end. It goes insane places, it doesn't hold anything back, and it's just so over the top. While there are some quieter moments that really scare you leading up to it, the end is a little, like I said, over the top, and it's not probably going to hit with everyone. I can't see anyone not enjoying these films, especially if you like those other types of films like The Wailing or other things along that line. So for me, this is the highest recommendation I can give. I love the medium. I think you have to watch this one. If you're making your list for 2021, you need to see this one. I'm probably overhyping this. I'm probably overselling this. But I don't hear a lot of people talking about this yet, and I need to get it out there. So you can blame me if you don't like this. That's fine. I feel like a lot of people are not going to like my reviews and the movies that I like because there's no rhyme or reason to it. I like most things, and certain things that I love, other people just do not like. A lot of people don't like. Go into the medium, maybe a little tempered expectations, but I really love this film. And ending off this section of reviews, we have Night Teeth. Now, I'm going to tell you right off the bat that Night Teeth is not going to appeal to everyone, but I really liked it. This is directed by Adam Randall, and it's released on Netflix. Tagline is Paint the Town Red, and the summary reads, A college student moonlighting as a chauffeur picks up two mysterious women for a night of party hopping across L.A., but when he uncovers their bloodthirsty intentions and their dangerous shadowy underworld, he must fight to stay alive. Now, what do I like about Night Teeth? Night Teeth has this setup in this world that's a little different than most vampire films. The mythology of the creatures aren't really different. It seems the same things really can kill them. It seems the same rules apply as most other vampire fictions. It's not upsetting the apple cart there. Where it does change things is the background of the world. We've got vampires and humans, and they're separated into two separate areas. The vampires have their area. They're supposed to stay in there. They're not supposed to leave, and they have these rules. They're basically not going out and hunting. They're not allowed to hunt. They have to feed at these certain places, and they're not allowed to kill people. They're only allowed to do it to the willing. They set out these rules in the beginning of the film. It's a very controlled and structured world. Within that, we have almost a mafia-type setting. There's a lot of crime film mixed into this vampire film. We've got this almost, and the only thing I can really compare it to would be Blade in the way that we have this vampire hierarchy. Obviously, it's a little different than Blade, and I do think I like Blade and the world that Blade sets up a little better than this, but I just really find this mythology and background interesting. Now, this gets a little ridiculous at times. I know that, and I know some people are going to think that going in. They're just not going to like the tone of this film, but it does keep it pretty serious, and there's some pretty cool stuff in here, even if it does venture into that. I know a lot of people, I think, have problems with the Blade series and how they portray their vampires. I really like, though, that they set up that there's these heads, there's these bosses, just like the Mafia, and they're all really cool. From what we see, I would love to see more of this world explored. I would love a sequel, especially setting up where the world goes after this film, or just to see how things were run in a normal time, because this is basically the night where all business is settled, just like in The Godfather. This is a night of turmoil in the vampire community. I'd love to see how it looked before. I'd love to see how it looks after this. It sets up a really intriguing premise. One thing that really popped out to me were the neon colors. They are all over this thing. This film is soaked in neon colors, and it really gives it a cool vibe and a cool look. There's also a lot of action going on, the horror might be secondary in this thing. We have horror in the sense that there are vampires and they are killing people, and that is horrific. But there is a lot of, like I said, crime and action and other genres mixed in here. It's not just a straightforward horror movie. 
All that being said, I really think it comes together well. Again, just like Slumber and Barty Massacre, I think this is going to be one of the more polarizing films that I'm going to talk about. I wouldn't recommend it to everyone. For me, it gets a high recommendation for this time of year. I think it's a really fun movie to watch around the October and Halloween season. But again, that's just me. You'll have to make your own decision if you see a trailer or see if you like what the film looks like or what the summary is. If it's interesting to you at all, if what I've described to you is interesting at all, the mafia-type world for vampires, then check it out. Okay, I'm back here for the second part of my reviews. I've got to start this off by saying I'm a little disappointed. I was looking forward to reviewing Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched, which was supposed to drop on VOD on the 26th. I got up on the 26th. I was all ready to at least start Woodlands Dark and Days Bewitched and watch a little bit of it because it is three hours long. Unfortunately, it wasn't on any service, and when I looked it up, I couldn't find anything about the date being moved, anything like that, nothing on social media, nothing. Finally, I saw a tweet from Vinegar Syndrome that said it had been moved to November 5th. So what that means is I'm not able to review it for this episode. I'll just have to wait until later to watch it. If you're not familiar what this documentary is, it's, again, three hours long, like I said, and it covers all things folk horror. I know there's a big release that Vinegar Syndrome is putting out later in the year in December, which includes this documentary along with a ton of folk horror movies from all over the world. I was really excited to dig into this one. I know I'm going to enjoy it. I can't really recommend or review it yet because I don't know what it's going to be like. It could be boring. Who knows? But I'm really excited to get into that because folk horror has had a big resurgence in the past few years here. I'd say the past six years, ever since The Witch came out. But it does have a rich heritage back in the 70s and even earlier. I'm just hoping this brings a larger appreciation for folk horror outside of movies like The Witch and The Wicker Man and Witchfinder General and... Apostle and Midsommar and all those things that have come out recently or are considered classics. I'm really hoping that the one movie in the Unholy Trilogy, which the Unholy Trilogy done by three different directors, but it was Witchfinder General in 68, it was Blood on Satan's Claw in 71, and Wicker Man in 73. And clearly, these are the big three folk horror films coming out of England in that time period. And The Blood on Satan's Claw has just gone under the radar for way too long. If anything, I'm hoping this can proliferate some of those lesser-known folk horror films. If you have not checked out Blood on Satan's Claw, I highly recommend it. It'll be streaming on Shudder starting November 1st, so you don't have an excuse now if you have Shudder. Anyway, moving on, we're going to go into what we do have in front of us. I checked out Broadcast Signal Intrusion. You can rent this one on VOD, and it was directed by Jacob Gentry. After hearing the premise, I was pretty much hooked from the beginning. Let's go ahead and set this one up. Tagline reads, follow the tapes. And the synopsis is, in the late 90s, a video archivist unearths a series of sinister pirate broadcast and becomes obsessed with uncovering the dark conspiracy behind them. So like the description read, We've got someone who goes through and basically is really good with camera equipment. He sees this video of this pirate broadcast, and pirate broadcast meaning someone's jacked the signal to the TV station. They're getting in there and playing something over the regular scheduled program. This whole concept has been pretty fascinating to me. This is on the same level as a snuff film type of thing where I just love that idea of people hacking into this TV station and running their own kind of creepy, twisted message over top of that. I get really excited when I see things like that. It's kind of right out of a creepypasta or something, the general premise. Right off the bat, we do have this initial broadcast that we've seen, this pirate broadcast, and it's really creepy and disturbing. It seems like some kind of art house student film, but something that maybe is a little dangerous. Something that 
you aren't supposed to see. It just has that feel to it, something weird and macabre. And it's a really good way to kick this off. I love the start of this film. And again, keep in mind, this is in the late 90s. So we're dealing with a period piece. I love these kind of throwback 90s films that we've seen recently with something like Rent-A-Pal, which pulls in some nostalgia for the era, or even something going back to the 80s with Censor, which is the same kind of, you know, a hunt for this uncoverable thing. So we get a very similar vibe as Censor here. This gives off a really creepy modern noir type vibe. This is very much one of those detective noir type stories with some horror mixed in. I think it's really eerie, and it ultimately had me on edge for most of the film. I'm still processing the ending. Overall, I think it's a pretty strong film. One of the main themes going throughout this is just paranoia, and in the negative category, I don't know if they 100% paid off the paranoia. The ending leaves a little bit to be desired, but overall, I really do like the film. I would say, at the end of the day, if you're interested in this kind of a story, then turn the lights off, turn this thing on, and I think you're going to have trouble sleeping at night after seeing some of this creepy conspiracy stuff going on. That's maybe just me. Maybe I'm just afraid of that. I don't know. But I would give this a high recommendation, and i definitely say to watch it within the Halloween season if you can fit it in this weekend. I think it's a perfect film for that. And the other film I've got for this batch is Hypnotic. I don't have a whole lot to say on this one, so I'll make this brief. Hypnotic is directed by Matt Angel and Suzanne Coote and is released on Netflix. For a synopsis, tagline reads, His wish is her command. A young woman seeking self-improvement enlists the help of a renowned hypnotist, but after a handful of intense sessions, discovers unexpected and deadly consequences. This film stars Kate Siegel, which is weird to see. It's almost like we knew her husband, Mike Flanagan, had a deal with Netflix. But it's almost like she has this deal with Netflix, too. And that's really funny. It brings us back, if we're talking about the golden age of Hollywood, of that studio system, where you had an actor and you signed them to a contract and they appeared exclusively in your films. Kate brings it here just like always. She's really good in this role. I think there's pretty good acting across the board. The problem is, is there's just not too much fresh or exciting or new. The other problem we see is it's a little too predictable. I was able to see most of the twists and turns coming a mile away. Some of them you can figure out pretty early on in the film. Other than that, though, it's just a solid, entertaining thriller. I don't have a whole lot to say, and that's not a good thing, I don't think. We've seen this take in much more successful movies in the recent past. If you're looking for something to throw on and just have a decent enough time with, it's going to entertain you. It's just not going to wow or amaze you. I'd say it's worth a one-time watch, but maybe don't try to fit it into your Halloween weekend. You can watch it some other time if you're if you run out of movies and it sounds interesting. Okay, next up, and I'm really excited about this one, I'm going to be talking about Antlers. So ever since early 2020, my two most anticipated films were Antlers and Last Night in Soho, and it just so happens that they were releasing on the same weekend, and that was really the inspiration of doing this episode, was to initially I was just going to review Antlers and Last Night in Soho and call it a day. But it morphed into this big new release review thing. As they were my top two anticipated for 2020, uh, they got shifted, of course, several times back further into 2020 and then into 2021, and they became my most anticipated of 2021 somewhere along the way. I went last night and saw the premiere of this thing. I haven't been to a preview night screening in years. I can't even remember the last time. So you, this tells you what a big deal this film was for me. Start things off, um, Antlers was directed by Scott Cooper. And you would know Scott Cooper not from any horror film, but 
things like Out of the Furnace and Crazy Heart and Black Mass and Hostels. Not Hostel, the Eli Roth film, but Hostels. So, not really a horror director. This tells you we have this established director who's worked from within Hollywood for years, has decided to take on this kind of horror film, which I did not know at the time. I wasn't aware of Scott Cooper and who that was. So I was just expecting maybe like this young filmmaker that I'd never heard of. And that can kind of get into where we're going to talk about my expectations went, where they were, and where this film ultimately went. We can get into that a little later here. Let's start off with the synopsis. A young teacher discovers that her troubled student's father and younger brother harbor a deadly supernatural secret. Taking the boy into her care, the teacher must fight for their survival against horrors beyond imagination. One thing right off the bat to note is that Carrie Russell stars in this, if you aren't aware. So you've got that big acting name behind this film. So that should have alerted me right away that this wasn't some kind of small indie horror piece. The crux of this whole film has to do with the legend of the Wendigo, which is a Native American legend, about this creature that can change shapes and eats human flesh. Right off the bat, and probably why I was most excited about this, was the inclusion of the Wendigo. And I just love the Wendigo specifically, and Native American legends and customs in general. I love films about that. We don't have nearly enough films about that kind of stuff. So I was on board from the beginning, even without seeing really a trailer for this. I think I might have seen a brief teaser or something like that. For any of you out there that do play video games, I one of the first introductions I had to the Wendigo was in the game Until Dawn, which is a fantastic game. It's like a narrative-driven, choose-your-own-adventure type horror game. But anyway, that has Wendigos in it, and also Larry Fessenden. But that's where I kind of got hooked on the Wendigo stuff, and I really have just been very interested in that stuff ever since. Start off, I said I had certain expectations of this being this kind of low-budget horror film, not knowing what this film was going in. One thing I did not expect was how atmospheric this film is. There are some gorgeous shots in this film. I just recently saw Dune about a week ago. And there's some very beautiful and beautifully crafted shots in that movie. And I'm watching Antlers, and this isn't far off from Dune in the cinematography type stuff. There's some very beautiful wide shots of the Oregon forest, and there's this fog that rolls in a lot of the times. There's a beautiful sequence of rain later on in the film. It's just incredible, some of these shots. They're very breathtaking I love the setting, all of the leaves on the ground. You do get that kind of fall setting. And you really feel like you are in the Pacific Northwest, at least from what I understand it. So the atmosphere they created is a huge positive for me. Another thing that goes along with that is there are some very cool lighting sequences that I really loved. Whether characters' faces are being lit by, you know, police lights, or if there's a projector going on that's doing some interesting lighting stuff, and sound design as well. I think the sound design in this movie is good. I usually wouldn't talk about this much technical stuff, but I feel like it stands out in this film. But if we get into the horror elements of this thing, I love the design of the creature. I love the design of the Wendigo here. I don't necessarily like the way it starts with its creature design, but by the end, I was very satisfied with what I got as far as the creature here. And that's a big thing, this being a creature feature type thing. I think the film is very unflinching and unsettling overall. It goes to some places, maybe not 100% with showing you everything, but this goes to some places as far as not taking any prisoners, and it's pretty brutal in the few times we get these scenes. Now, maybe there's not enough gore and brutality there for some horror fans. Maybe there could have been more. Maybe people are saying it's more of a drama. I didn't necessarily mind that. I really liked the characters they built here. I didn't so much as care for the backstory of Carrie Russell and her brother in this film. It was okay. I think it was a little bit patched in. So that's my main negative of this film. And maybe I would have liked to see a little bit more of the Wendigo. But I think what we got is pretty good. 
I was more interested in the story of of the young boy Lucas in this film and his brother and dad and how that all came about and where it went. Overall, I'd say I was pretty satisfied with this one. Maybe it was just the atmosphere and the fact of me seeing a movie opening night that I haven't done forever. Maybe it's just because I was anticipating this. Now, this didn't live up to my 10 out of 10 standard. I don't know where it would slot in over the past few years when we've had these incredible years with so many great films. I think most years, even 2020, 2020 was a pretty strong year, and I think it would still slot in the top 10 for me then. It's pretty high and maybe in my top five so far this year, but it's not the perfect film I was waiting for. It's maybe benefiting a little bit from this being more of a down year, and recently I've been seeing some films that have been pushing up my list, so we'll see where this thing ends on the end of the year, but right now I really enjoyed it, and I would give it a recommendation without hesitation. Um, I would highly recommend this one to anyone So get out there in the theaters and support this one if you can, if you're interested in this premise at all, in this movie. Maybe I could have been harder on it, but I really love this film personally. Let's go ahead and keep this new release train moving right along. Next film I want to talk about is Paranormal Activity, Next of Kin. You'd be forgiven if you haven't heard of this film, if you didn't know it was coming out because they really didn't do any advertising for this. This launched on Paramount Plus today, Friday the 29th. I had been following this one, so I already knew it was coming out, but what I didn't know is there was also a documentary coming out today as well to release with it a companion piece that goes through the Paranormal Activity franchise, so I'll be talking about that next. But Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, like I said... It is streaming on Paramount Plus, and you can do a free trial. So if you want to do a free trial to sign up to watch this and the documentary, there's not much else on there, Quiet Place Part 2. But if you want to sign up for those, um, you can get that free trial for seven days. This film is directed by William Eubank, who you might know from Underwater and The Signal. A decent pedigree there coming in. That's a good sign. Let's go ahead and set up the synopsis for this. Margot, a documentary filmmaker, heads to a secluded Amish community in hopes of learning about her long-lost mother and extended family. Following a string of strange occurrences and discoveries, she comes to realize this community may not be what it seems. Ooh, spooky. Um, anyway, forgive me there. So with Paranormal Activity, I've generally really liked the movies in the franchise that I've seen. I have stayed away from 4 and The Ghost Dimension, but I have seen 1, 2, and 3 and The Marked Ones, and I generally like them with a couple of exceptions for things that happen within them. I was right there at the beginning of this franchise. I remember being in college when Paranormal Activity released, and it was what everyone was talking about. I remember these marketing campaigns. So that one holds a special place in my heart. I remember watching that with my friends at their dorm, at like one o'clock in the morning and then having to walk back across campus to my dorm in the dark at like 3 a.m. when nobody's out and it creeped me out for a good while. So I have some general affinity with paranormal activity and found footage in general really as I've already discussed. This one strays a little bit in tone and subject matter from the other entries. I know it's a little bit different. It's not going to be your standard Paranormal Activity film, um, which is good. I mean, they need to go out and do something new. We got the marked ones, which was different. But the other ones all kind of fell in the same kind of line. So it's nice that they're branching out here. Problem is, there's a few scenes in this I really didn't care for. And I think we're... I don't know how to describe them. They just did not land well with me. And it brought my overall enjoyment down. A couple of those are early on, which is unfortunate. But, you know, it recovered... And I really love the reveal that happens on later towards Act 3. And I think overall, the film had more hits than misses for myself. It's a very interesting premise. You know, we've got this woman who's trying to find who her mother is because she never knew her mother. And she's doing this whole documentary on it. And it kind of turns on them once they get there. I did notice something I want to 
also pick at a little bit is this film seems rushed in the wrong places. Sometimes they let the drama and the stories and the character building go on as it should and it plays out as it should. And then we get to some of these scenes that are really pivotal scenes in the movie and should be these long-lasting things, and they just seem rushed. There are several things that seem rushed in this movie that we could have went into a little more, and maybe they're trying to do the spirit of the first one, but that first one has some good pacing, and I feel like it goes along at the right pace, and that just wasn't here. Another thing I noticed is it took some cues from some other found footage movies. I'm not going to say which ones, but there's some similarities to other found footage movies, well-known found footage movies, so maybe they're playing a little bit off stuff there. I still overall found this film effective. I liked it. It's probably because I like most found footage films. It's probably because I have a soft spot in my heart for the series. But I think if you are a paranormal activity and a found footage fan, then it's worth checking out. It's worth a one-time watch. It's nothing that's going to blow you away. But it's a solid found footage entry. If you're looking for more found footage, which sometimes it's hard when you get into the weeds on this found footage stuff, you get past all the well-known ones, and you're moving on to lesser-known ones, and that can be a bit hard to navigate sometimes. So this one is a safe choice that I think everyone would get enjoyment out of, even if you don't like everything in it. I personally loved the ending, though. It might be a divisive thing. Again, it feels a little rushed, but I do like where they end up going with this. So the other piece to my double feature here this morning was the documentary I talked about before, Unknown Dimension, the Story of Paranormal Activity. Now, this covers everything in the series, including doing a little production look-in on Next of Kin. So, it does cover everything, which it has been about six years since the last Paranormal Activity released. So, makes sense that they would have everything in there. I would make sure, a word to the wise here, that you watch these movies if you want to going in. Because they do spoil them. They go into deep into the story and the endings of these films. So I would definitely watch those ahead of time. One thing I wasn't expecting was a little tiny bit of found footage history up until Paranormal Activity, really, that happened at the beginning of this. Now, they didn't go in-depth on it, but we did get interviews with Eduardo Sanchez, the team behind Grieve Encounters. We had Oren Pele and the McPherson tape director, and they touched on... The McPherson tape mentioned briefly, you know, Cannibal Holocaust and talked about Blair Witch Project. McPherson tape was probably the first of that modern wave of found footage. And then Blair Witch obviously blew up. So I can see why they focused on that. But I wasn't expecting to get interviews there at the beginning from those people. And that was pretty cool. They had interviews throughout this whole process with pretty much everyone involved in these films from Jason Blum to, you know, the writers, the producers, the directors. We had Gregory Plotkin and Christopher Lambert, who both wrote on this series extensively and directed. I believe we had the directors and writers from all these movies out there talking about them and really liked that. I just wasn't sure what to expect going in, and I think I got a lot more than what I expected. So it's not perfect. There's some pieces that are... Not great, but when they're delving into the problems they had making these films and how they went about making them and all these struggles and how they were able to piece them together and make these very low-budget films, or in some cases, struggling with keeping that low-budget feeling, it's just pretty fun. And if you like documentaries, if you like diving into that kind of stuff, I'd recommend watching this one. Maybe not right now, but it's fun to watch this after you watch Next of Kin, or even before, probably, leading into it. So you can get that feeling of where the series was and just get caught up on everything behind the scenes going into this. I'd say it's definitely worth a one-time watch. And again, both of these are on Paramount+. Plus. So if you have Paramount+, Plus, that's great. If you want to sign up for a free trial, I would recommend that too. But they're both worthy of watching. For the last movie I'm going to be going over on this episode... It's Last Night in Soho. Apparently, I had saved the best for last. So I am fresh out of the screen. Um, I'm, you're going to have to excuse me if I'm a little biased on this. If I'm just on that high from seeing this movie in the theater, I don't know. 
But Last Night in Soho is, of course, directed by Edgar Wright, and it's only found in theaters. Let me go ahead and set up the synopsis, and we can get into this. A young girl passionate about fashion design is mysteriously able to enter the 1960s where she encounters her idol, a dazzling wannabe singer, and is not what it seems, and time seems to be falling apart with shady consequences. First off, let's get this out of the way. This is an Edgar Wright movie, which means, in my eyes, that it's almost perfect. Edgar Wright just knows how to make films that appeal to me. I don't know, and I know they have a wider audience, but I loved Last Night in Soho. This may be my favorite horror movie of the year. I'll have to think about it a little bit more, but it's right up there. It might be taking the top spot. That's how much I love this movie. We all know, even though he hasn't done a straight horror movie, that Edgar Wright loves horror movies. We've seen him in countless interviews where he gushes over horror movies he used to watch as a kid, that he watches now. He's pretty much in any kind of documentary that's out there. So we all know Edgar loves horror movies, and this thing is amazing. Once again, we're reminded of Edgar's love for music as well, as he has a pretty good soundtrack to go to this thing, as is the case with most of his movies. I absolutely love the songs pumping through this. A lot of them are from the 1960s, but it does set the vibe. When this film starts, you're not even sure what era they're in. What we have here is our main character, Ellie, is going off to London to a fashion school. In order to become a fashion designer, she's from the, from what I understood it in the film, it's in the country. It's out in the country. She lives with her grandma because her mom has passed away. She doesn't know her dad. But she's going off to live on her own for the first time, leaving her grandma in the country to go to the seedy London area. And when I say seedy, I'm not making any judgments on London, but this film does not paint it in the best light. The lighting, the cinematography, everything here is top-notch. As you expect with any movie Edgar Wright has been associated with, I just can't believe how much I like this film. Now, it does take a while to get started into the actual horror elements. We've got this premise where Ellie is living by day as this normal fashion design student, but when she goes to sleep at night in this new room, she has these visions or dreams, is what she thought they were, of being in the body of a woman in the 1960s and reliving her life. At first, it's pretty exciting, and Ellie's loving it, and then it takes a turn for the worst. And when this thing gets into horror, it does ramp up and goes full-blown horror. There's a lot of unsettling things in this movie. I was unsettled several times. I was uncomfortable several times. And I think that's a sign of a great horror movie. I could really sit here and gush about this thing all day. The cast is incredible. We have Matt Smith in a role that I don't think he's usually playing as at least for the things that I'm familiar with. But he does a great job here, as does Anya Taylor-Joy, and of course, Thomas and McKenzie, who is the lead in this one. We really start to care about Ellie in this film and her well-being, and I really feel for her in this situation she's in. It's hard to get into this without getting into spoilers, and I don't want to do that since it's so new. This is just meant to inform your choices of what you could watch this weekend. So I'll save the spoiler talk. I do really love the twist near the end of this movie. I think it has a really good ending. To wrap this up, I would recommend, if you're going to see any movie that we've talked about tonight, I would make it Last Night in Soho. I would make that your priority. There's even a little bit of a Halloween vibe here because there is a Halloween dance and it's pretty incredible that scene is shot so well as are so many scenes throughout this movie I'm giving Last Night in Soho my highest recommendation this is a must watch you have to watch this one if you're a horror fan definitely watch this one before you fill out your 2021 horror list again get out there see this in theaters and support it because this may be the best movie I've seen all year and again Maybe I'm biased. I love Edgar Wright. I love all of his films. But you can see that for yourself. I think, at the very least, it is a well-constructed film. And the story and characters are just so solid and tight. That's all I'm going to say on Last Night in Soho. I could sit here and talk about it for another 15 minutes if I was going into spoilers and what happens in the movie. But I don't want to. I'm going to leave it at that. And this is going to do it for the 2021 Halloween Weekend Watch Guide. I hope you all found something that you can watch over this weekend. If you're still looking for something, I hope one of my recommendations 
pushes you into seeing one of these movies and you really enjoy it. As always, you can follow the podcast over on at Screaming Ages. Also, you could email me at ScreamingThroughTheAges at Yahoo.com. And I have a website, ScreamingThroughTheAges.com, which houses all the episodes. We'll be back next Monday, the first post-October show, with a regularly scheduled Val Luton episode. We're on part three of five of the Val Luton series. So that will be hitting its halfway point soon. And we'll be moving on with regular episodes from there on out. I don't know how many more of these bonus episodes will come out. Um, I just wanted to get a couple out there for October. But until then, I hope you enjoyed the show. Hope you find something to watch this weekend. And keep your eyes on the podcast feed for your next bi-weekly horror movie history lesson. 